0: as long as you can prove to your satisfaction and somebody else's it's perfect and inerrant and you can explain away contradictions, you have faith. But once it's shown that you can't, your faith will be shaken. That's because you've put your trust in a book. We are called to trust the living God. We are not called to trust the Bible first. Only a fool puts this confidence that belongs to the Father
1: in the book. The Bible, today on In the Shadow of the Cross. Another episode of In the Shadow of the Cross, and I am Lauren Rosser. I'm here once again with my two very sober friends, uh, Jim Durkin <laughs> and Michael Harden. Here we go.
0: I, I, I don't
1: for those of you outside who, who want to know what on earth was I talking about? Well, there was a running joke between uh, Jim and Michael. Jim was telling Michael to make sure he shows up sober tonight on the podcast. <laughs> so Michael came prepared, of course, with it's something to don't,
0: drink. Don't anyway, <laughs> right,
1: exactly. <laughs> it <was> so, funny. <laughs> so today we're talking about yet another fascinating topic. Uh, today we're going to talk about a, a song that I learned way back in Sunday school. It was, are you ready? ready? One, two, three, four. Well, that was was one of them. Uh, (laughs) The B-I-B-L-E. That's it. That's the book for me. (laughs) What? What song was this? Go go ahead, Jim. Jim knows it.
2: The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E.
1: There it is, to be Bible. Yeah, the B I B L E. You
0: know the B I B
1: L E. You know
2: basic uh, instructions before
0: leaving I thank Earth. You Jesus, I grew up Catholic, and I'm not like this poor man who grew up charismatic.
1: Oh man, if we if we started going over Vacation Bible School songs with you, you your mind would be blown. I won't I won't start singing for your Roll away and all those different songs that we used to sing. Jim knows them. <laughs> I just
0: had to go sit and kneel down in this uncomfortable, dark little booth on Saturdays and say confession. That—that's that,
1: the only nonsense <laughs> I had to do. Yeah. So today we want to talk about the Bible, Um, and we want to talk specifically about what we actually want to do. uh, do, This is going to be several episodes um, because there's so much to unpack on this topic, and uh, we want to start this one talking uh, along the lines of basically what is it that we have learned that we need to unlearn about the Bible? Because um, if you're like me, um, I grew up with the perspective that the Bible is the Word of God. It is... it's as if it was dictated by God Himself. There's no contradictions in it. Um, it's perfect in every way. And uh, if if the Bible says it, God said it, and that settles it. Um, so that that was basically the perspective that I grew up with. And uh, and so we're gonna do some unlearning here so that over the next few weeks we can dive into some learning. And uh, and I think a lot of you listening out there are going to be surprised at the direction this goes because um, this is not going to be a tearing down of the Bible at all, but it's going to be a reorientation of how we approach it. And so um, let me just go ahead and throw it out to you guys. How do we need to reorientate? Michael, take it, take it away. Thank you,
0: sir. Okay. So Here's here's my my thesis, and then I'll establish it. What we need to do is we need to get away from the dominant Protestant cultural view of the Bible. What do I mean by that? So I went to chat GPT, and I asked the question, what percentage of American Christians believe the Bible is the word of God? And it replied by saying, according to a survey conducted by the Pew Research Center in 2014, about two-thirds of American Christians, 65%, believe that the Bible is the literal Word of God. While another 32% believe it is the inspired Word of God, but not to be read literally. Only about 3% of American Christians say the Bible is a book written by humans and not the Word of God of God. I found those figures, first of all, rather remarkable. Two-thirds of the people that go to church believe that the book they're bringing with them or the one in the pew was given to them by God. Two-thirds. And um, as a result of this, um, they know this book has authority. But they also know it's very, very, very complicated and complex, and they don't have time to master it. I mean, you, that's why you send people off to Bible college and seminary to go learn some things so they can come back and kind of decipher this very mysterious book. Um, my thesis is this it's very simple. At the beginning of the Reformation, there was a correlation between the category of revelation and Scripture. That was severed so that by the end of the 16th century, it had now become inspiration and Scripture. And the Bible becomes this Word of God thing. It's important to note that this is only the Reformed tradition, that Uh, We don't find the earliest Reformed confessions in, say, the 1520s or early 1530s, those of Zwingli and Byrne, to contain or start with anything about Holy Scripture. But in 1536 in Geneva, and who's the pastor in Geneva in 1536? Crickets? Crickets? John Calvin. John Calvin. What we find there is in this confession of faith, what's the first thing it starts with? It starts with concerning Holy Scripture. The Lutherans begin with the doctrine of God. The Catholic Church begins with the doctrine of God, the Nicene Creed. But there is this shift in the Reformed tradition that has to start now from another place than the Catholic Church starts from when it comes to the Bible. And so now they're going to start defining this collection of books. These are the 66 books we accept. This is why we reject the Apocrypha. And then later they're going to um, leave Calvin's argument that we know Scripture is Scripture because the Holy Spirit illuminates it to our benefit. They're going to leave that argument behind. They're going to say the Spirit is in the Bible. The Bible holds the Holy Spirit. It is inspired. It's the Bible that holds the Holy Spirit. And, of course, the reaction to that, several hundred years, well, I mean, the pietists in the 17th, 18th centuries, uh, the revival movements, later the charismatic movement are going, no, the Spirit's located in the people, not the Bible. But these conservative traditions will carry this notion through, God wrote the Bible. And so what we're left with now, what we're left with, is that the Bible is a book that has been translated many, many different times into the languages of the peoples. God knows we've got 40,000 English translations now, most of them worthless. And um, and everybody and their brother that can read thinks, I can interpret the Bible. And so what we've done this with this, this whole theory of biblical inspiration, which was meant to substantiate biblical authority, by tying inspiration to Scripture, putting in the hands of the 40,000 million people and letting everybody interpret it the way they want, it's evacuated the Bible, of biblical authority. Because you can say what you believe, and I can say what I believe, and I can back mine up with Bible verses, and you can back up your view with Bible verses, and so we both think we have this biblical authority on our side, but we aren't able to convince the other. So the very doctrine... That seeks to substantiate biblical authority actually undermines it, and we need to get around that doctrine. And as you know, Lauren, I've already I spent four months developing a theory of the authority of Holy Scripture. Notice that Holy Scripture, without even needing to go near a theory of inspiration. So it's possible to do that. So that I want to start off with that and acknowledge that. The problem is a very specific theological tradition, the Reformed Calvinist tradition, and its eventual um,
1: incrustation and mummifying of a very living text. Yeah, you you really hit the 600-pound gorilla in the room. Because, I mean, when you said that you have two people and they have two different interpretations of the Bible and everybody's convinced that they have the correct interpretation of the Bible and thus we have 40,000 Protestant denominations, you know, because everybody's got the correct interpretation and you don't agree with mine. And so since I'm more correct, I need to break off from you and go a different direction. I mean, that that's a huge issue in itself. And then the other thing is that the tradition that you're talking about, about the Bible being viewed as being the word of God, that the roots of that go so deep that if I were listening to you say that just probably 22 years ago, I would have turned off this podcast as soon as you you started arguing against the Bible being the word of God, because I would have said, this guy's a heretic, this guy's out there, and I would turn it off hopefully everybody's still listening <laughs> so that you can see where this is going to go because i i like i said i think i think you're gonna be well, well, i never I, I haven't said what i believe right and that's what i was getting all at is of, hang in said, there everybody you can, you, can, <laughs> you can
0: all i've said is you can form a doctrine of the authority of holy scripture without having to resort to a theory of inspiration that's all i've
1: said yeah so far. exactly
2: there's, so, there's Jim, something you there's something you did say that um got <laughs> kind of got my wheels turning a little bit and um it it was on the uh along the lines that uh, because people believe that this is the actual word of god dictated word for word basically uh that they can't understand it so we have to send people off to school where they where they get educated on how to how to understand the word of god how to treat the word of god and how to deliver it to people um and it got me thinking that is really no different at all from the children of israel when they come to the base of the mountain and there's an invitation by God for all of them to come up into his presence. And they're all saying, Oh no, 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 no. Uh, we're, we're, we're not qualified to come and stand before God. Moses, you go and, and, and you hear what he has to say. And then you come down and tell us, us what he said. And, and here we are thousands of years later with the exact same attitude. It's, and 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 then then you went on to say later that everyone thinks they know what the word of god says except what they know is basically they know whatever their educator pastor teacher whatever told them and and it right. reminds me of a story that my dad used to tell and it, it, he was only maybe a year or so old in, in the Lord, and um, going to a particular de- denomination, Pentecostal denomination. And he came across the scripture, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed. And he went, goes to his pastor, and he said, "Pastor, uh, I'm a, I'm a little confused. Um, you you told us that." Um, that we're not predestined, that that these things, that we have free will, there's not a predestination, and, and yet I'm reading this scripture. And the pastor looks at him and looks down at the Bible and looks back at him and he says, now, listen, son, you stay away from scriptures like that. We don't believe those. Oh! <laughs> Wow. And I I think the point being that if we're honest with ourselves. And I'm going to speak right now as a leader in the church. If we're honest with ourselves even as leaders, there are portions of the text that we read in the bible that we look at and say not only do i not understand it i simply don't believe that right and yet we will stand up in the pulpit and we'll say every you know promise in the book is mine every chapter yeah. every verse every line every you verse. know yeah. and 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 Everything in there is God-breathed. Everything in there is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and you need to believe every word of it. But we don't believe every word of it. And um, I I hope over the next uh, four weeks we can kind of unpack that and bring it to a place where uh, we have a deeper understanding and, in reality, a deeper appreciation uh, for the book that we do carry.
1: Mm. Yeah, really good thoughts there, Jim. And it, it, so it, it brings me back to what, what Michael was bringing up, um, where you were saying the Bible having, um, you you found a way, help me with this, you found me a way for, for the scripture to have authority without having to have a th- a inspiration. Can you expand on that? I know you can. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, <clears throat> So over over the course of the next six weeks, we're going to have to do some exegetical work. Um, but we we're going to have to unpack, for example, a text like Second Timothy three sixteen. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable and useful and for instruction in righteousness, doctrine, this, that, and the other. And um, when we Christians come to the Bible, we're told by the Church. That the Bible self-referentially refers to itself as this perfectly written book. And we're given these proof texts for it. John ten twenty-eight, 3, three, sixteen, all the language of the of the Jewish scriptures, you know, about the word of God, this, that, and the other. Um we are we are taught a theory of inspiration before anything, okay? We are taught a theory of canonization. We are in other words, before we even come to faith, what what is it that that who is this God that we know? Undergirding that are these presuppositions about this text. And the reality is in, in the in the for the last several hundred years, anybody that's gone into the church and learned this way of thinking, who either encountered real difficulties with the biblical text. And I mean that they caused existential anxiety um, or uh, dared to challenge the pastor Uh, soon found themselves having to basically say, the book makes no sense, and that's our modern liberals. The book doesn't make any sense, right? And um, so we, we end up either way with the same starting point whether you're conservative or liberal the starting point is this god is perfect both the liberal and the conservative acknowledge god is perfect whatever concept of god you you've got that god is perfect second god wrote the bible that's the conservative the liberal says If God wrote the Bible, then there wouldn't be all these contradictions and all these problems. Whereas the conservative goes, God wrote the Bible, and that settles it. So even if there are contradictions, even if there are questions, why the the scholars, they can all handle that. That doesn't matter to me. I'm just going to live my little Christian life and go on my merry way. But these very same people treat the Bible like a little Ouija board and they open it up in the morning and open, and let just speak to me lord as though as though they're going to search the scriptures and find eternal life in them but the failure in this devotional hermeneutic of evangelicalism is that it doesn't teach the christian how a text can testify
1: can testify to jesus Wow. <laughs> that that's some pretty heavy stuff right there because I like how um you you took care of both um if I could put it this way it's kind of like uh, the the typical way when you bring up the scriptures is people immediately hold one of those two perspectives you just brought up. So if I'm a conservative, then my immediate thinking is, well, then if you don't believe this way that that every word was mm-hmm. dictated by God and it's it's all equal, then you're one of those liberals who doesn't know if God had anything to do with the Bible. And then the liberal says, well, if you if you have any kind of uh, sense of uh, of authority in it, well, then you must be a conservative. And I like that you just showed the complexity of this because you you showed both sides are missing it. Mm-hmm. So, Jim, you, you look like you had some uh, ponderings there while he was, uh, while Michael was sharing.
2: <laughs> well, lots of, lots of ponderings because you don't have to, you don't have to be in the church world for very long before uh your your particular background stream whatever you want to call it uh begins to teach on the authority of the bible and uh, you begin to form as michael was saying one of these two points generally speaking if you are an active church member almost any denomination uh, you're going to lean, perhaps not in every area of life, but certainly as regards uh, relationship with God and relationship with the Bible, you're going to lean a little bit more on the conservative side. This is um, this was given to us from God. It's it's um, you know how I I know the thoughts and the and the intentions of God it's how i know how to live a holy life it's it's how i know how to uh, you know treat my brother and my sister you know whatever and so yes we you know we we make uh, uh jokes uh, you know on on occasion you know basic instructions before leaving earth that's always my favorite one but um but in in essence most people that i know in the church world kind of do feel that way and and what michael was saying about going to it uh on a on a daily basis to to kind of get my instructions for the day or at least my inspiration for the day let's put it that way and and um and yet michael you made a interesting point that in reality most people don't know how to see the references that they're reading, and and draw out of that how that's pointing to Christ. Um, yeah, there are several books you can buy that will teach you this scripture is talking about Christ and this, scripture, but that's not the same thing as what you were saying. So um, no, I find it very interesting. Um, I know I know uh, in eventually we're probably going to be talking about uh, just the Bible as literature. And uh, mm-hmm. even as a literary work, it's an outstanding work. Yeah. But, I, but I'm thinking about... Um, I, re- I remember in, in uh, my book uh, Dying of Thirst on the Bank of the River, I wrote a chapter entitled It Is Written. And it's um, it deals with the process of, of canonizing and, and which, which uh, chapters are, uh, or which books, rather, should be included in, and, uh, you mm-hmm. know, the politics that went into it. And um, <clears throat> it's, it's amazing that we, um, we've talked in times past about uh, the flatline interpretation or, or reading of, of the Bible— But we don't have a clue, most of us, how a few thousand years later or 1,500 years later, whatever it is, uh, how much uh, politics went into what we're now told, oh, this is all inspired. This is all, (laughs) you know, the wrangling and, and the... Back and forth. Well, this book should be in it, says one man. Another one says, are you kidding? I would never want that book in the Bible, you know? And and it's just interesting that today, now because I can uh, put an app on my phone and have the Bible in a thousand different translations... Uh, that somehow I think that I've got something that was pure from the the very beginning of the finger of God writing Ten Commandments all the way down to John on the Isle of Patmos uh, giving us the revelation of some series of tremendously... Um, Cataclysmic events that are going to happen sometime in the future, and uh, possibly next week, uh, depending on. Well, never mind. Methinks thou dost jest. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 so. This is a huge subject, and I'm I'm glad. That uh we've come to the conclusion that we're not going to try and tackle the whole thing in one uh, session because uh, to untangle it, um, and i'm I'm agreeing with you, Lauren. I hope our readers or our listeners rather stay with us um, session by session because we are not attacking uh, the Bible. What we are oh. is we're holding up what that book is and how, it actually does point to our our Lord Jesus.
0: Yeah. We're actually going it to function as the Holy Spirit uh, intended it to function. Yes. We're learning to hear it uh, through the lens of the mind of Christ. Exactly.
1: Yes. And and Jim, you uh you, you reminded me of how um so many of my friends who when they would first get jobs at a restaurant back in high school, they would uh, they would say, "Oh man, if you knew what went on in the in the kitchen, you would not want to eat there." And uh and you reminded me of that when you were talking about the scriptures because th- that's exactly right is that the history and the politics behind deciding on the canonization of it was not a pretty process and i think if we were really to step back in time and and look at that so many would be really disturbed and and a lot of people i think know that and so they'd rather just turn away from that not even look about it yeah. and talk about it and it's simpler just to say oh this is pure this is perfect this is was always meant to be and, and rather than go hey this is what really went on in the in the kitchen you know,
2: not not only was it um, not a pretty process, it wasn't a quick process. It actually, Michael, it actually happened, I believe, over about three hundred years. Isn't that correct?
0: That that's true. Can't the canon? Well, actually, the the canonization process in the Christian tradition has never been a closed question. Ooh. <laughs> so, for example. This is very important. Okay. The Ethiopic Church always had First Enoch in their canon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, the churches of the East didn't want to include Revelation in the in the canon. Right. They they will not read it in their liturgy, and it was only accepted into the canon universally, West and East, in ten you know by the by the ten hundreds, and five hundred years later, Zwingli throws it out. Luther throws it out. Calvin refuses to write a commentary on the book of Revelation. And Luther also tosses out Hebrews, James, and Jude. So there has never been a period in the history of the church where A, there has been one canon, and B, we've all agreed on what that canon is. It doesn't exist. And but to your point, Jim, uh, David Dungan's book, for those readers that might want to know where they would find academic or scholarly good evidence for your thesis about this political process and canonization, David Dungan's book, Constantine's Bible. Okay.
2: Very good. Very good. Yeah, yeah
1: I'll have to check that out. Um, So what do you guys think uh, is a good starting place as far as what is the first thing you would want people to know as far as getting untangled from this mess on how to approach Scripture? The the,
0: the first thing is, I would say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. What you're going to experience is a shaking of the foundations, because your faith, Is built upon your ability to apologize or do apologetics for the Bible. As long as you can prove to your satisfaction and somebody else's it's perfect and inerrant and you can explain away contradictions, you have faith. But once it's shown that you can't, your faith will be shaken. That's because you've put your trust in a book. We are called to trust the living God. We are not called to trust the Bible first. Only a fool puts this confidence that belongs to the Father in the book. That's good. That's good.
2: I would say additionally, Lauren, if I were... um, Well, I'm going to take two hypothetical situations. One a person, uh, like what you mentioned, uh, that came, came to us and said, okay, if it is that complicated, how do I untangle it? How do I, how do I now approach the Bible? The second, uh, scenario would be the new believer who is, uh, I've never read the Bible and, but somebody told me that now that I'm a Christian, I should read the Bible. Uh, Where do I start? How do I approach it? And I I would say something very similar. When Jesus spoke to, I believe it was the Pharisees, he said, you're searching the scripture because you believe in them you are going to find life. But they testify of me. And I I would Mm -hmm. say to anyone, camp on the scriptures that... Become inspired in the moment that you're reading them that testify of Jesus. If you're reading something and say, wow, that speaks to me of who the Lord is, then I would say, camp there for a little while. Meditate on that. Ruminate on that. Go over that portion of scripture and what am I getting out of this thing? What is is this saying to me here? And then move on. If if you are come across scriptures that, boy, that just doesn't sound like Jesus at all, that just doesn't sound like, man, that doesn't, I, I don't, that confuses me. I don't understand that. I would say to you, it's okay to move on. But kind of, don't move on permanently. Kind of set that on the shelf for just a little time and say, okay, Lord, I need more understanding. And hopefully... Again, these next four, five, six weeks, whatever, as well as others, will give you a little bit more understanding but i but I would say, in the meantime, don't let yourself get bogged down with, oh my God, now, now I'm reading it all wrong now i you know now I don't even know what to do, you know it's like no, it's okay to just stay there in a place where you know what this speaks about Jesus." It Makes me feel good, you know, it gives me warm fuzzies about Jesus. Okay, warm fuzzies are okay, <laughs> that's not that's not altogether bad, <laughs> you know. My pajamas are warm fuzzies, I like them, so you know, <laughs> anyhow,
0: <laughs>
2: exactly. But, uh, but, but, I, but I think, um, again. We can't say it often enough. We're not attacking the Bible. We're trying to open it up to here's what it is. Here's what you can get out of it, and really, here you can build your life on the principles that are taught in the in the Bible. You really can. You can build your relationship with Jesus on those principles.
0: Well, we, can, we yeah, we, we, I I'm I'm curious now because this this may indicate some some big difference between where Jim is going where I'm going. I don't know that there are principles in the Bible. What, what are the principles? What are what, for example, is there a thing? Is there a biblical principle of marriage? Is there a biblical principle of sexuality? Is there a biblical principle of the state? Is there a biblical principle of uh, the family? Is there a biblical principle of work? Is there I mean, what is there? Where, where in the Bible can you find a principle?
2: <laughs> that's a that's a, a good point, Michael. Um, I'll give you an example. Many years ago, I had a uh, business, um, an auto-customizing business. And without going into a potentially long story, um, I did something foolish. I used a chemical on uh, removing uh, uh, what they called a rally stripe on a very expensive car. And it took the paint right down to the primer. And, of course, the dealer was very upset and whatever. And I was very, uh, you know, gut-wrenched, if you will. Like, I don't know what to do because I live in a very small town. All the auto dealers in town know each other. They're all good buddies. And I knew that not only had I lost his dealership, but potentially I could lose every dealership in, in our town. Right. And so I went to my dad and I said, I don't know what to do. He said, Well, Proverbs talks about a gift given to the king basically turns his heart. So he said, Pray about what you could do, what kind of a gift you could give this man that might turn his heart. So I called his finance director. I asked them what body shop they took the car to. I called the body shop. I said, send the bill to me, and I wrote a check and paid for the whole repaint of this vehicle. Uh In addition, the man had gone on a cruise uh, uh, two days afterwards, and I paid for, I think, two or maybe three uh, dinners on the, on the cruise that are, were additional, to. When he came back, I didn't even know what day he came back, but I got a phone call from him, and he said, I've got a couple cars down here at my lot I need you to take care of. Now,
0: <laughs>
2: I would call that a principle. That is a principle of life that I got out of the Bible. It's just how to treat Um, other people with respect and instead, you know, and, and I wouldn't say, I would say that was a life principle. Let me put it that way. So I do think there are some principles in the, in the Bible that uh, just help us to get along with our fellow man. They teach us, uh, they teach us a little bit about what kingdom love is about.
0: Okay. Okay. So um, is it, is it a principle um, that God wants us to um, join the military of our country and go to war with other countries because that's what happened in Israel. Can we derive from a, a thousand times, from Exodus through <laughs> Judges, Samuel, Chronicles, and everything else, they go to war on behalf of God. Can we say that it's everybody should join the military, or we're supposed to join the military, or is there a principle there?
2: I wouldn't say there was a principle there, no. But I would say there is a principle, if you will, or instruction, perhaps is a better word, of a person who is in the military, how they're supposed to conduct themselves. I think okay. Paul addressed that, how soldiers were supposed okay. to conduct themselves and whatever. Yeah.
0: Okay, so are there are there if If there's a principle in the Hebrew Bible that contradicts a principle in the apostolic writings, then what
2: I think we're going i think what you're saying right now, I think we're going to have to take a little more time to develop what you're okay. saying about the the uh Hebrew writings as opposed to the or not opposed but i mean as 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 mm-hmm. differing from the apostolic writings because the Hebrew writings was to a nation in a particular given um, genre and understanding and uh, I I don't believe that there is a lot there that I can draw on. Uh, I think when I draw on that and try and live by those, uh, I'm no longer living by principle, I'm actually living by law, legalism or performance. Um, so I, I, I think I'm using the word principle in a very uh, loose way, if if, if you will. Um, yeah. Is there a let me let's take the the situation in Corinth with the um, the love feast and the uh, disparity between the rich and the poor and and so on and so forth. Is there a principle there? Yes, I think so. I think the principle is uh, very similar to let the strong support the weak. And and it's an understanding, maybe that would be a better word, it's an understanding on how love works, that I don't sit there and gorge my face while somebody else is sitting there with nothing to eat at all. Um, that I, I bring, uh, love beckons me, to invite them to come and partake of the bounty that the Lord's given me. Um so I would call so that have a, a principle. But, have, okay.
0: Go ahead. But you now you now you now have a, a hermeneutic, a method of interpretation which says if it looks like love and it smells like love, that's God. Perhaps. Right? Perhaps. I mean I mean Um, uh, Joshua chapter 7 is a story about a confused community And they try to figure out What to do and God says have a lottery Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Can we draw A principle out of that Does God have us do lotteries Is God anywhere involved in the text I mean I'm thinking here Jim of the evangelical I'm thinking of the, the way that you and I Grew up when we would go to the Bible And because We're doing that flat reading of it we are deriving all kinds of principles. I mean, Bill Gothard had his big, fat, friggin' red notebooks oh, full yeah, of friggin' definitely. the Bible's view of this. Yeah, and You know, definitely. I mean, the legal—so I'm, I'm concerned about this notion of, of principles. I'm concerned about it, but, but I'm hearing you now say, before there's principles— there's a hermeneutic that guides me to the principles that bear witness to the gospel and to love. You're saying, before I go look for principles, I have something in my head that allows me to see and hear the Jesus principles, Mm -hmm. the Father, Son, and Spirit principles, rather than just morality codes and legislation.
2: Well, and I think that would be a, a, a more accurate way to put it, Uh, You brought up the Joshua story. Well, we have another story similar to that, if you will, and that's uh, the disciples, apostles, whatever you want to call them, uh, deciding that they need to replace uh, Judas. And so they cast lots. Well, I I would say that that is not a principle (laughs) on how to... Uh, Vote your pastor in, (laughs) you know. Oh, we'll cast lots, Um, and
0: yet that's exactly what the Mennonites.
2: I was (laughs) getting ready to say, and yet there are some who would say, "Oh no, that's biblical. That's how you do it."
1: Yeah, right. I never knew that. I never knew the Mennonites do it that way.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and so it's it's. um, I appreciate the dynamic between us. That we can actually say, "Hey, you're going to have to explain that statement," because, um, Michael, you you bring out, uh, and this would be true about you, Lauren, as well. We all kind of came through uh, the same door, if you will, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. And and there are terms that we toss around that. Because we all kind of have been in the same camp, it's like, well, we know what we're talking about, but um, but they do bear, um, we bear the responsibility to take a look at those and, and examine them. Well, wait a minute. Uh, and and I appreciate what you're saying about principles. Yeah, we can't take everything that we see in the Bible and make a principle out of it.
1: Right. Okay, then we're on the same page still. This is all good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because for me, I probably would use the terminology more um, the ethics of Christ. As looking at the way that, that, but, but again, that's just because of, people I've been around in the lingo they used. I mean, and that's part of it is it, it reminds me of one time I was on a, a, a field trip and, and there were some Mormon friends I had with me and we were tossing terms around and I, I found it really funny that we were using the exact same terminology, but it had completely different meanings. And, uh, and I think that's one of the things is a lot of times as in this situation where uh, what we were just talking about, we, we have the same meaning. We're just using different terms to mean the same thing.
0: Well, we and think of all the categories we've covered tonight. For example, canonization, inspiration, revelation, hermeneutics. I mean, we've involved all of these massive disciplines in, in this, and in just in this little short, small conversation.
1: Yeah, that's good. And, and it's, as you've said before, Michael, we all bring a, a hermeneutic when we read the scriptures. And I, and I like the Jim's answer there because in your, to your question, because... What it let us do as the listeners, we got to hear him apply a hermeneutic to the scriptures as he unpacked what what mm-hmm. he was saying. I thought that was really cool.
0: Yeah. Another thing I think we need to get away from is the concept of the original manuscripts being inspired. Okay. Oh, and the reason that there are problems is because, you know, well, yeah, God superintended the Bible and da 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 uh, There's going to be these minor imperfections, you know, these little dings and scratches. Uh, But basically, it's a brand new automobile, and God wrote it. Um, We need to get away from this business of the original manuscripts because scholars can't even reconstruct an original manuscript. I mean, I have here a Nestle Allen text. I have a Five Societies critical text next to me. They're not the same text. There's no such thing. As an original text. And so it's, it involves a kind of special pleading to say, well, the original was perfect, and then it got a little gummed up after that. The fact is, the very same book that says anybody that adds to this book one word or subtracts one word from this book, the curse of God shall be upon him forever, and that book is the book of Revelation, and it has a rather strange textual tradition of stuff added and subtracted, right? So, um, pity those scribes that copied that thing. <laughs> but the, the point is is that the apologetics of an inerrant, infallible Bible have crashed on the shoals. They've drowned in the whirlpool. Um, nobody with an intelligent mind can defend inerrancy or infallibility. It it really takes a tremendous amount of, of of smoke and mirrors to come up with with that view of scripture, and it worked for a long time, you know, as we were coming out of the Reformation into the Enlightenment and the Wild Wild West in America, but but it has been completely deconstructed since the Enlightenment, and now we live in an age that. Doesn't even know how to deal with the biblical text, right. and it certainly, sadly, doesn't hear good news out. No, not at all, you know. And yet, and yet, scripture from Genesis
1: one to Revelation twenty-two is chock full of good news. So, in, in line with what you're saying, and, and and I'm laying this out obviously for a for a, a purpose. How is it then, if the Bible is is not in inerrant? If it's not perfect, if it's not those things, what's the purpose of the Bible? What's the purpose
0: of the Bible if it's inerrant and infallible? <laughs> what's the
1: purpose? I've, I've never asked somebody that. <laughs> that's a really good question. I'm serious. What's the purpose no, of the Bible? No, iner- that's why I'm laughing, because that's a really good question. If it's inerrant and it's infallible, if God
0: gave it that way, why did God? not give us inerrant, infallible interpreters. I mean, it's not for nothing that the early Catholic Church basically says the biblical texts are interpreted with authority by the bishops. You yeah. Know? Um, and sadly, that becomes a whole theory that becomes then very top-down and hierarchical. Rather than the bishop being the one that represents Jesus and his character in the community, you know,
1: like an Ignatius or a Polycarp. So then, then basically, wouldn't the I mean, a, a, an honest person who holds the infallibility um, and, and inerrancy, wouldn't they? Because an answer to your question, wouldn't they both basically say the same answer? Though they wouldn't uh, uh, agree on on the uh, the text necessarily, but both wouldn't they both say that it's to point point us to Jesus?
0: I, I that think, I think they would, with the best of intentions, both sides might. But I think really they they don't think that. Mm-hmm. the The evangelical, the fundamentalist, uh, is not asking questions about Jesus when they come to the Hebrew Scriptures. They they think they're dealing with God or you know the Father, you know, and and so they they have to find out figure out a way to deal with this wrathful angry deity. so what do they do they break god up into time well that was the father's time now we're in jesus time then we'll be in the holy spirit time then jesus comes back and god is pissed again time and we seem to go from god being pissed to god being pissed you know it's like oh that's real good news
1: Yeah, because right after I asked the question, my mind immediately went to a debate that I saw between a, um, between somebody who doesn't hold to the flat view of Scripture and somebody who does. And it was actual formal, friendly debate. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it was like, duh, because I remember watching the debate, and the guy who held to the flat reading of Scripture, he wasn't pointing to Jesus. He was looking for, like we talked last podcast, but he wouldn't use this terminology, but he was looking for laws. He was looking for laws uh-huh. that we're supposed to live by and holiness codes and things like that. But I'm sure he would say that, oh, but that's pointing to Jesus.
0: <laughs> and I would ask him exactly how?
1: Well, I, I, I think um,
2: the how, if you boiled it down, would be that's pointing to what Jesus requires. Which is not the same thing as that's pointing to Jesus
1: right right that's right. like like this is jesus standards and rule book and yeah. and it's the 10 commandments <laughs> and the law and all this stuff and and you're right cuz the dispensationalists is that jesus is um it's is still he's like he's like part 2 to the bible you know of all this stuff yeah. <laughs> so it's like he's 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 law 2.0 you know and so it's like he's he's <laughs> saying he's basically saying that and <laughs> Is how a lot of people interpret it, and, and so I could I could see that that that's a good point, Jim. That it would be like, oh, this is pointing to what Jesus wants us to live up to or how He wants us to be, um, as opposed to actually pointing to the person Jesus.
0: Well, didn't Jesus? Hey, kids! It's a modern revival. Jesus 2.0 coming your way. <laughs> Did, didn't Jesus
2: raise the bar though on the law? Moses said, but I'm saying it. The bar is higher.
0: Did he say the bar is higher? That's what
2: uh, I've heard it interpreted by many people. <laughs> Jesus raised Did... the bar. He went from the law outside of us to the law in us, to right. our heart, to our attitude, mm-hmm. to our, you know, fleshly desires that have to, you know, be crucified daily. <laughs> right. <laughs> So now it's even so, harder So grab that one Mike <laughs> did, did God raise or Did Jesus raise the bar
0: um, So in the Sermon on the Mount um, Jesus Doesn't raise the bar Now think about this, it's very important If he raises the Bar He is now taking the category of law And running it through a Sharpener mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay? He doesn't raise the bar he eliminates the bar. He says, "What you've done is you ha- you have put a bar here." He said, "As long, long as I can get over this bar, I'm good." Jesus, there is no bar. This this thing about "thou shalt not kill" has implications on levels you can't imagine—psychological, social, personal, and everything else.
1: So I would I would suggest he takes away the bar. That's
2: good, and I would agree.
1: So when when you're saying that he takes away the bar, is it because in uh, in and I know we're going to be getting into the literary side of it, it? It is when he's saying you've heard it said, and I say to you, is there is there um, an argumentative method or something that he's using there that's um, that's that's doing that that's removing the bar? Because uh, you, you know another somebody with a flat reading or somebody could read that and just go, well, see right here he said, but I say to you, so he just up up the ante.
0: Okay, so we could we could do an awful lot here with the antitheses on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. I, I, and we could do a lot about Jesus' orientation to Torah, how Jesus interpreted Torah. We've done some of this work already when we talked like about Luke 4. I mean, Jesus has a hermeneutic. He has a hermeneutic. He has a way of approaching his textual tradition. But even before we get into all of that, we, we have to ask about the presuppositions of the Protestant evangelical, Reformed Protestant evangelical fundamentalist tradition. And the, and we have to examine those presuppositions because if we don't, we're not going to help anybody. And um, so when Jim, for example, observes that canonization was a political process, well, a liberal might say, you see, the Bible's just men, men put it together, and so blah, blah, blah. What the conservative does is they'll say, well, there may have been a political process. It was superintended by God. Neither one of those are workable solutions. The workable solution here is to acknowledge that the church was doing its level best to define what constituted apostolic authority and writing over against those who falsely proclaim themselves apostles or connected to apostles, particularly in the 2nd century, where there's an awful lot of other literature written that, that has authority in various churches. You know, the Apocalypse of Peter, the Shepherd of Hermes, the Epistle of Barnabas, the Didache, um these all had authority in various churches you know in the Empire and they were all debate. the Hebrew gospel was another one. although that that's its authority is accepted but there's only four church fathers that can read Hebrew over the course of 400 years. so you really only have one church father per hundred years that can read Hebrew so it gets lost, right? Um, there's so much. And, and yet what is the Bible? The Bible is the collection of books that the church has chosen to say will function as a standard. That's what a canon is. It's a ruler. It's a measure. The ruler is not the thing in itself. It simply measures the conversation, the doctrine, the sermon, the theology. It's a measuring tool. Okay, so when you build a house... You don't walk around and go and every. I got an inerrant ruler. Look, I got an inerrant ruler. This is an inerrant ruler. You know, you use it to measure beams and to measure this and that and the other. You're going to put it in. You know, then and that's its function. But we don't let it function that way. Instead, we gild the ruler and we put the ruler on the wall and we worship the ruler. And Jesus says,
1: "You don't get it. That's not where eternal life is to be found." And that's really good. That and and we are actually at time right now, so you could see why this definitely has Our, to go on several weeks. Yeah, because uh, there's there's a lot here, and and there is uh, again, this is a hefty topic. So I'm I'm glad we're going to be covering a whole lot more on this over the next few weeks. But this has been really good. So Michael, if people want to hear more, uh, read more about uh, th- the things that you've written and studied, where could they find that? My book's on Amazon.com or uh, YouTube. Just Google my name. Okay. And Jim, is your book out? Is it – I know you. it was published and then it's being republished.
2: Yeah, I talked to the publisher
1: today, and it should be
2: back on Amazon by the end of the month. Awesome. All right.
1: So – and also, everybody, if you've enjoyed these podcasts, uh, tell a friend. Um, get the word out you know that you've enjoyed listening and uh, because you'd be surprised how many people um, I've run across even just thinking man I think weird I have weird thoughts and then oh hey there's this podcast these guys have my thoughts and then you find someone else who's like hey I think that way too I've had questions about the same thing so you might be surprised at the people who would enjoy uh, joining you and listening so anyway thanks you guys this has been a great conversation again and we'll see you all next week